Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Laura Grice, what do we got? Good morning. Good morning. I always miss the good morning. I'm just like, <laughs> let's get to it. What do we got today? Today, the topic is transgender, mostly transgender children. And we're just creating a different perspective and more of an acceptance against the norm. And I guess, honestly, that's pretty much the topic for everything that you and I discuss, right? Just an <laughs> acceptance for the norm. Yes. Unconditional. Unconditional support, unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, Except- unconditional valuation. Right. Just, against the norm, though. It's not against anything, right? But it's harder to do when there is a norm that's kind of telling us who to be, how to be, and wrote with judgment. You talk about like dogma religiously. It's yeah. like, this is how it is, and this is what's right, and this is what's wrong. And I don't know, that opens up a whole can of worms. And what better topic than the transgender, it's not even calling it a movement. It's just what is going on and it's just coming above surface. And there's so much that goes into that of, is it right? Is it wrong? And it's just, I think when you even talk religiously, it all boils down to love and it's learning how to love any condition and any situation and any reality. And that to me is spirituality. But that's just it. It's the religion and society. And again, I find myself saying this literally with every episode. Society has so many rules. And I don't know if if society is changing with the times. It will always be slowest to change. And whoever's invested in the current paradigm is going to try their hardest to keep the norms because that's their comfort zone. But does it make any sense anymore? It's just it's not evolving. To me, it only makes sense if it comes from a place of love and inclusion. And of course, you don't want to, I want to be able to love even my enemies, but I'm not going to allow my enemies to kill me. I'm going to try to protect myself. So if there's something that's threatening your existence, then yeah, you can fight for yourself. But there's so many things in this world that there are these rules against that it's really, to me, comes from an insecurity within the person who's passing judgment. And it's not necessarily a threat to anything. Right. It's like a parent. I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but I find myself, the kids will ask me something and my knee jerk reaction is no real quick. And then immediately after that, I have these silent thoughts that say, why did you just say no? It literally was no big deal. And then I sit down and I talk to them and say, I thought about it. I'm not really quite sure why I said no. It was just a knee jerk reaction. And, but on the same lines, like why, why? Why not accept if it's not threatening you? Why not be open? Because and how is this threatening people? So that's the thing. It's when it threightens your model, then that's your orientation. And so people want to But that's your that. model. Yeah, I know. And They're that's projecting. his model and her model, but it might not be this person's model. But I'm saying that's why people do it. If I feel comfortable living in the United States for certain reasons, just look at politically where the country is so divided right now. And one half of the country thinks the other half of the country is compromising the integrity of the country we're living in. And it goes both ways. And so you're trying to protect what you feel is like what keeps you safe. Religion is the same way. It's created years and years of war. 
So there is no better topic. There's right. just no better topic because personally speaking, and again, anyone could have any belief they want, but gender in general, I don't care. Just, I just don't care. Just like, don't care. It's a person. I love <laughs> Let people. Let a person express who they want to be and how they want to That's be. That's it. You love the soul. When, when we were having love the kids soul. Love the and soul. we found out that our third child was going to be a girl. So we have mm-hmm. all girls. And there were like people legitimately like put their hands on my shoulder and were like, so sorry, man, <laughs> are you going to try for a fourth? Like, God, to have a boy. I'm like, what is that? I'm raising souls, not genders. Right. Like I have right. three souls. That's plenty for me. Mm. And that's great. So that's more than plenty. <laughs> the, the transgender topic is it's just like, why not go to the extreme? Because it then puts it all in our face of what we're comfortable with. And why are we judging? What's the harm here? Today, we have a very special guest and this guest, they've been friends a long, 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 long time ago. And I am really, really excited to bring this friend on the show today. So Cece, yeah, we met probably 20, almost 20 years ago. And she's a Korean American mother for four children. Rock star. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or crazy. uh, (laughs) crazy. Your kids are ranged between 19 as the oldest and nine as the youngest. And she was born in Seoul, raised in Southern California, went to college in Boston, lived in Hawaii, Solana Beach, which is where we met you, and now living Mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. And Mm -hmm. you love traveling and you're a tennis junkie. And politically, you are homeless. I love love that, by the way. I think I'm going to adopt that. (laughs) I heard that from somebody not long ago. And I'm like, this is me. I am politically (laughs) homeless because every time I think I agree with somebody or some political party, I'm like, no, I don't want to be a part of you. So (laughs) I choose not to take part. Yes, exactly. I love it. Again, it gets down to like labeling and it's just so restrictive. And then it forces you to have to adopt things that might not be true. It's not so black and white, this life. It's not. I was just telling the kids that. I said, it's okay to be gray. It's just okay to be gray. But But you have to be comfortable. You have to be so so comfortable. Put it this way, like your skin, right? It's this very tangible wrapping that we have, right? And it makes us feel safe in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. If you didn't have it, it would be very uncomfortable and you would be dying for something that was more black and white, something Mm -hmm. that you could understand Mm -hmm. the boundaries. But when you're comfortable in your own skin, you don't need that artificial wrapping. And so it's, I think a lot of times that when people are so just dug into one side, it's due to just this inner insecurity and they need something to make them feel more secure. Yes. They need a protective armor. So Cece, can you tell us your story just about your children and take us Mm -hmm. up to where we are in relation to our topic today, which is transgender, primarily in children? So my oldest daughter is 19. So I've been doing this parenting thing for quite a while now and have seen a whole rainbow of things. So I have a 19-year-old daughter and then I have another daughter after her who's now 17. And then I have a boy who is just turned 13 and my youngest is nine going on 16. The youngest one, as you know, learns things a little faster and child. throws your parenting game all off. It sure does. And it's a child that no other parent wants their kids to hang out with. The youngest <laughs> Totally. Yes. I have like the first two girls who are like on a roll and perfect model children. Uh-huh. And my fourth child, 
I was literally getting a call in the preschool office that they were biting and yes. hitting and pushed a child <laughs> off the bench. And I'm like, oh boy, okay, where did I go wrong here? No, I don't know what all I gone did rogue. wrong. They've all gone rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think the best way to describe my four children is I think my son, my third child, when he was about, I don't know, eight or nine, He said the funniest thing, and it just made me laugh. He said, it's so funny. We have in our family of four kids, a girl who is very girly, and then a girl who is not all that girly. And then there's me, a boy, and I'm very boy. And then we have a boy who thinks he's a girl. And we were like, huh, this is so true. (laughs) And we were like, wow, you actually really nailed it. It's so true. My husband and I, I can't say we did anything differently in raising any of these kids. I mean, we know one way to parent. We parent with like, try to parent with lots of love, lots of no child is the same, but we were pretty much on the same page. But they all turned out just very differently. And I can't say it's due to anything that we did. So when my youngest was as early as Lincoln could walk and speak and scream and whatever, like at about 15, 16 months, was crawling into Stella's closet, pulling out all the dresses and putting it on. And it would like drag on the floor because it was way too big. So up until, I mean, Lincoln was born male. And of course, we did the hair, the blue, the traditional things, what we knew. It's the only thing that my husband and I knew. But as soon as Lincoln could express, now I say herself, but back then himself, was wearing dresses, choosing to play with all the girly toys and whatever. And I really, we really didn't care, but we were of such a binary mindset. We kept trying to push like, okay, well now you have to take off the dress because you're going outside. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, come on, Lincoln. Daddy's going to throw the ball with Leo. Go with daddy and throw the ball. (laughs) It's just looking back, it's kind of embarrassing how I was so set in my ways. And even with Tony and we all were, it's just what we knew. I had raised three other perfectly binary and quote unquote normal kids. And then this child comes along and totally just threw a wrench into everything that I knew, I thought I knew. And I remember my husband taking Lincoln and Leo out to play baseball and Lincoln insisted wearing one of Stella's old blue Cinderella princess dresses. (laughs) And by this point, Lincoln's like two and we're like, whatever, wear the damn dress out. You're just going to the park (laughs) to play. Who cares? You're the fourth child. We're kind of tired, parents. We're like, okay, wear the dress. And Tony sends me a video from the park. And Lincoln is wearing a baseball helmet. And daddy's trying to pitch the ball. And Lincoln's trying to throw the bat around and hit the ball. And then she tosses the bat aside and walks away saying, I don't know what you're doing, but princesses don't play baseball and walks away. (laughs) 
Wow. What's interesting, just to interrupt, is that Lincoln came in with her own stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. No, <laughs> literally. And that is something that I still think about till this day. Like, wow, like she now is growing up with a binary mm-hmm. mindset which is something that I also as a parent struggle with because I'm always trying to teach her like, hey, it's not all one or the other. You can be this way. You can be that way. We have to respect other people for other things. So it's something that it kind of makes me, I almost look at it as like, oh, maybe that's something I did. I always try to look Mm -hmm. inside like, what did I do to teach her that? But it is still, I mean, I think that's the only way we can learn is to look at ourselves. And I mean, it is also she is living in Puerto Rico, where is all her classmates and the school tends to be more binary. So I think socially, there is still a lot of the binary things that they learn. But I'm always trying to teach her that it's not a binary world. And that's the way, at least our school, I don't know if I can say other schools. I know this school that the kids are in, it's very open-minded and very colorful. And they really, they create this environment that is extremely accepting on all accounts. And they make a point to doing it. I mean, they even, it doesn't matter what holiday, the principal is very good with drawing attention and celebrating everything. I don't know if all schools are like that. I I have to think that they're probably not. I definitely don't think all schools are like that. And I think in Puerto Rico, our school tends to be more like that. But I have found in my experience that the children are the most accepting and loving and open-minded people. And it's oftentimes the parents of the children who tend to come in with their preconceived thoughts and ideas and opinions of course and try to put it on the kid and having a range the age range that I do I've seen all like the whole gamut from preschool to college and I almost feel like I've done my own study because I've experienced so many kids of all different ages and I realized that when they're young preschool, early elementary, the children tend to spew out things that have been told to them by their parents. And oftentimes as they go through middle school, they're like going through their own sort of self-discovery. And by the time they get to high school, it's like they're becoming very independent and start having their own thoughts and ideas and opinions and start questioning like, wait, what did my parents tell me? I mean, this is not every child. Nothing is ever set in stone, black and white, like you said. But I have found that even kids that through elementary and middle school had problems with like LGBTQ topics, that by the time they get to high school, they're realizing, wait a minute, what did I learn? What was I saying? Why did I behave that way? And they're kind of coming more around. And I find that in elementary and preschool, the most hurtful things to my transgender child was stuff that the kids would say that she would come home telling me. But I found out that the things that the kids are saying, like, for example, a child would say, well, if you're a boy, you're a boy. God made you a boy. boy. So you're a boy. Mm -hmm. So six, seven-year-old would not say that if it didn't come from her <laughs> parents. Absolutely. A six, seven-year-old doesn't say, God made you a boy, so you should be a boy. Mm. They don't think that way. It came from the parents or grandparents or somewhere in their household. 
and this is kind of how I feel about it's same thing like racism, right? Or people who are anti-Semitic or whatever. It's like children do not have views that way. It's told by their parents or their household or whatever. I think it's really cool that I've been saying this for a few years that our kids are growing up. Now, I don't know if you can say that about Stella because I'm not sure about that age. Our oldest is only 10, but I like that they're growing up in this, that they're growing up in such an open-minded. It's certainly, I'm from a very, very small, narrow-minded town and Mm -hmm. non-accepting town. And you had to be just this, a certain type in order to fit in the town. And I love that these kids are growing up in such very open-minded and even they're teaching me so much. Yeah, I agree. I say when we were going through the early stages of the process of coming to terms with the fact that I have a transgender child, I remember saying to my husband, like, why are we so devastated? Like, my child is happy and healthy, and I am raising a child in this day and age where so many people have become more progressive and more open-minded thanks to, like, the freedom of information, right, that we Mm -hmm. can get anywhere. I'm so glad to not be raising my child 20 years ago when it was much harder to be gay, to be anything other than the norm. So I agree. And I have to say in college, now that I have a child in college, which Mm -hmm. is crazy (laughs) because like I was in college yesterday. I don't know how I have a college child. So weird. And she Um, was just playing in front of Awakenings in her little princess dress. Right. (laughs) Yes. God, that seems like yesterday. I don't know how. And I now have my second child, Lucy, is a senior applying to college any day now. So I'm definitely very, very grateful that history is so much more available now with internet and all that, that Mm -hmm. people have access to more information and people can think more freely in many ways. And For me, like reading and teaching myself and learning about the history of transgenderism is what really has made me feel grateful that I'm living in this day and age and not 20 years ago. Because the history of transgenderism has always existed. And I mean, the term transgender didn't even exist because it was something that was not even, it just didn't exist. Like there's Mm -hmm. always been third genders or different non-binary genders. But it's only in like early 1900 that it, things started to change. Cece, I'm not familiar. Admittedly, I don't know. Like I am here to accept really anyone's truth, but I don't mm-hmm. know the history. Can you talk about like what that was? I'm fascinated to know. I am too. Like what you've learned along the way right. in terms of the history. So I've definitely, I don't think it's something that I ever would have even thought to look into if I did not experience going through having a child and I couldn't understand why he would freak out when I would cut his hair and why he would freak out when I would make him take off the dress. I didn't understand it. And it's something that I never would have thought to look into the history or look into it if I did not go through this experience. So I totally understand why so many people don't know the history of it. But the reality is in ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, I mean, transgenderism, what we call transgenderism, was always, always around. 
It's only in modern times, like in 1900s, as Western civilization and Christianity started taking over, that the non-binary roles became more prevalent. What do you mean the non-binary roles became more prevalent? I mean, I'm sorry, the binary roles became more prevalent and the non-binary roles became obsolete. Because in the United States anyway, as Western Europeans started coming over and taking over with Christianity and whatever, Native Americans always had what they called a third gender or they called a, there's a specific word they use, I can't think of it right now, but three-spirited people, I think is what they referred to them as. I love how um, poetic they I know. The Native Americans, they had it they had it right. And the three-spirited people were always revered. It was something that was considered like, wow, they walk in both worlds. How it's amazing. like extra. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. And so all these tribes, they for the three-spirited people, it was something that was celebrated and revered. And there are like, if you look through like historic journals of like tradesmen and people who early settlers, like three spirited people were killed because it was considered evil as the Christianity and European countries started coming and taking over. And to me, like that's the early modern history of the U.S., but going deeper into like ancient Egypt and Greece, like it's always been there. And even now, when you look through Hawaiian culture or Polynesian culture, there's always the youngest. For some reason, it tends to be the youngest in the family. They call it the mahu and they tend to be the more what we call transgender, which they don't call it that. But and it's always a celebrated thing in the culture. It's only in our Western Christian culture that we have demonized it. We've always been the bad people. <laughs> just have. I just love, we've spoken before in the past about something that Laura and I just kind of, we have a lot of similar beliefs on how to raise children and yeah. we kind of mm-hmm. cut from the same cloth in that sense. And Just we want to instill a way of living that celebrates. It's like you're here to celebrate. And even when they get jealous of one another, it's like, no, 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 no. We celebrate each other. Mm. Their gains do not mean our minuses. Right. And it just that just makes sense. You celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. If you need to protect yourself, you protect yourself. But like we're here to celebrate people. And if you're not celebrating, Mm -hmm. why? What is it inside of you that's going on? Where is your insecurity? Where is your deficit? Life is just where so you much can't nicer. Celebrate somebody else. So right. much nicer. And it just mm-hmm. creates vortex yeah. of energy. It's just like a frequency. Absolutely. It's like, why wouldn't you want to instill that and try to engender that rather than trying yeah. to cut down, divide, and control? And while I yeah. want to stay on that high, you mentioned something a little bit ago that I think if you elaborated on it, you could help so many parents. You had spoken mm-hmm. about in the beginning how you two were devastated, you used the word devastated. We you, were, yeah. Can yeah. you walk and talk or talk us through that devastation? Like, what did that look like? And what was the revelation? Like, what was your awakening? Yeah. Right. My awakening, yes. if you will. Yes. <laughs> so as with any awakening, I think it's very step-by-step process. I don't think we ever have this, like, I know Oprah calls it the aha moment. Maybe Uh people do, but I don't. For me, it wasn't like (laughs) one moment where I was like, aha, I have a transgender (laughs) child. No, it was a complete process. And okay, for me, I grew up in Southern California, which is obviously very a progressive state in many ways. 
And my husband was in the military. I mean, he grew up very Catholic. I grew up very Catholic. He grew up in very Italian Catholic. The man kind of very traditional what we thought we knew. And living in Southern California, in San Diego at the time, obviously, probably very, very progressive, I would say, compared to most parts of the world, wouldn't uh-huh. you say? Yes, absolutely. But, it's, but San Diego is a conservative area with the military. But you're from L.A., it though, right? Is, yeah, I'm from L.A., but if you know, San Diego is a very, like a pocket, like Orange County of conservative politically conservative people. But within San Diego County, I would say Solana Beach is very progressive. I love I mean, living in Solana God, Beach. I miss it. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Except for like, it's so progressive that, I mean, I remember at one point, like, because I wasn't like outwardly fully supporting Hillary Clinton, this mom totally called me out on like some public, like mom's meeting, like, well, you support Trump. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, I, what are you talking about? Like, how do you don't even know me? Why do you think I support Trump? Like, because I didn't outwardly support Hillary Clinton. Apparently I was a Trumper and I'm like, wow. So Solana Beach is a very pocketed little, I would say pretty liberal area. So growing up in that area when at that time, now 10 years ago, when the whole like there was like the bathrooms were like non-gendered bathrooms. And it was like even when that was starting, like my husband and I would be like, what the hell does that mean? What do you mean non-gender bathroom? (laughs) Like we were so like, I mean, that's how we thought. That's Mm -hmm. how we were. I just um, don't want to share a bathroom with a man, but that's a whole I different know. topic. <laughs> right. I know. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I had Tony was working in the hospital and the hospitals down there in San Diego started becoming all non-gendered bathrooms. Is that and I right? remember no, I remember him coming home and he's like, They just put in these bathrooms at work and it said non-gender? What the hell does that mean? Non-gender. Like, so where do I go take a dump? He was like, That's how he was. And I was like, I don't know, that's crazy. That's what our mindset was. Then it's like, okay, have this beautiful baby boy with blue hat, whatever. And then, like I said before, as soon as Lincoln could walk and express emotion, we were like, okay, we thought, okay. And now I have a boy who at that time we thought, okay, well, he might be gay. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a little bit into the girly things. And oh, well, that's okay. I mean, I don't care. That's fine. And as things progressed, it became more and more like we'd go get a haircut and she'd look in the mirror and she would just cry, cry. And I was like, you look very handsome. Why are you crying? Like, that's even worse. Right. I mean, come on. It's like literally on the floor crying. I couldn't understand it. And honestly, I was like, what the F is wrong with this child? (laughs) I was seriously, I'm like, I had four children. I've never experienced this kind of, I mean, I called it madness. Okay, I did. I was like, this child is mad. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on. And I would go home and I'd be like crying to Tony because as a mother, it's so stressful when your child is so unhappy. Right. Yes. I mean, I'm sure as a father, too. I'm sure as a father, too. 
to Adam, but I'm used to men being minimalized. Adam is very used to it. <laughs> Sometimes as a mother, we tend to be more emotional, hormones uh-huh. and all, and I really couldn't understand it. And then it just progressed. It was like a step-by-step progress. And then the fight to take off the dress because Tony and I would say, well, okay. It was like baby steps like, okay, well, now you can wear the dress, but you can only wear it at home. Mm. When we go out, you have to take the dress off. And Mm. she'd say, but why? Why do I have to take off this dress? And I would say, because you're a boy. Boys don't wear dresses. I would have done the same thing. Looking back, I'm a little bit horrified at how horrible Tony and I Listen, we, that. when we talk about everything in terms of cycles and a seed is born and that birth and just think of it like you wake up one day, it's like you have an orientation yeah. and your orientation yeah. sets, like we need an orientation point. We need to know what's up and what's down and the earth beneath our feet. And we all agree on common language so we can all converse and right. mingle. So we have these orientation points and then we ride out that cycle with that orientation mm-hmm. point in check. And if we mm-hmm. never reset, it, we're trying to make all of reality fit that orientation. So it takes sometimes a few cycles of adaptation, of evolution to start changing the orientation point that allows yes. for a greater reality. And that's just normal. It just takes a few cycles to make those adaptations. Yeah, it is. And I think for many of us, it's hard to look inside and be introspective and learn to change that center. So it took a while. It took a long while for us. That's a big paradigm to tear down, right? Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things, I guess we are still very early compared to a lot of other families go through a similar experience. But so we went through that, the whole, okay, fine, you can wear the dress, but only at home. And then it just progressed. And then we moved to Puerto Rico when Lincoln was about three. And the school that we chose had uniforms. It was a private school. And the boys, I mean, it's a non-denominational private school, but it was still pretty binary in the sense that boys had to wear short and a polo shirt. And girls got to wear these like little uniform dresses. It was like a polo shirt, but dress for the girls. I wonder how that evolves. Bringing it right to the forefront. It sure is. Oh boy. And initially we thought uniforms are great because now we don't have to fight about the dress because I mean, there was always a princess or a Dora or Elena or Sophia, (laughs) some kind of princessy dress that she was always trying to wear to school. And we'd be like, okay, you can wear it at home, but now you got to take it off. So once we started the school and we thought the uniforms were going to be a godsend, we were like, yes, so excited. Got the shorts, got the polo shirt. And at the school, they have shoes, uniform also. Girls wear black, like Mary Jane type shoes. And boys wear black, like sneaker loafer type shoes. And the first year of this, it was a pre-pre-K program because Lincoln was, what, three at the time. It was the biggest struggle with the uniform more so than the princess dresses because (laughs) Lincoln every day would come home and say, why am I wearing these shorts? And I'd say, well, that's the boys' uniform. The school says boys have to wear these shorts and the polo shirt. 
And she said, but all of the other girls get to wear the polo dresses. Why can't the first, I wear the polo dress? unbelievable. Was that the first time like it came so directly Absolutely. out? Um, no, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, wow. There were so many other signs that we probably ignored because I couldn't see outside my binary. But I mean, beyond signs, like there's no deciphering that. Well, That's... because we would say, I'm sure there were other comments like that it previously, but she was only three at the time. So vocabulary right. starts developing a little bit more. But before, like we would say, well, because you're a boy, boys don't wear the dresses. The mm-hmm. boys wear these shorts or no, Lincoln, you can't wear that Dora dress to school because boys don't wear the dresses. Like mm-hmm. we were saying that to her at an early age. Mm-hmm. But even when she would come and say that when we were in Puerto Rico with a uniform, we kept just like ignoring it. But then ignoring it eventually led to every single morning of crazy tantrums because she wouldn't put on the shorts. She wouldn't put on the Mm -hmm. uniform. She didn't want to wear the black loafers because they were ugly. Which they were ugly, I agree. But <laughs> <laughs> she said, they, the black loafers are ugly. Why can't I wear the pretty ones that all the girls wear? We're like, well, you can't wear that one because you're a boy. And it just became, I mean, there were times when I'm very ashamed to say, but we would say, you know what? You're not going to school today. Stay in your room. That's how we would punish because she refused to wear the shorts. And it became such a strain on our marriage and our family because we were so annoyed that this child was not listening to me. We didn't understand why are you flipping out about these damn shorts? So we were like, what is going on? And I started, I don't even know why I decided to start reading. I first started reading about gender creative children. There is a therapist, a psychologist at UCSF, Diane Ehrensaft, who has been doing this, like the gender studies since I think the 70s or maybe even earlier. So I just started looking into things like, oh my God, what is going on? I don't understand. It's like my fourth child. I've done this rodeo of parenting <laughs> before. Why is this so difficult? So I just started really looking for help and looking to educate myself like of this difficult child. And through reading all these things, I came across reading. I read all these different books, but one book, if I can say there was an aha moment, is I read this book called Raising My Rainbow. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. I'm not even sure where I heard of it, but it came across and I read this book called Raising My Rainbow. It's by a woman named Lori Duran in California, in Orange County, California. And she was obviously, I just felt a lot of similarities to this mom. And she explains her story about her child, CJ who now has become a very non-binary child and is does like makeup ads for Sephora and all this stuff. So, but I read this book and in the book at one point towards the end, her husband was an Orange County police officer and she was like, Orange County, like I said, is one of those pockets of like conservative mm. in California. 
And so she says at the end of this book, like she's writing, she stayed up late writing a letter to her husband about what to do if she were to die because her child who was non-conforming. And that to me was a very big turning point. And I thought to myself, like, if I were to die, like, what's going to happen to this child? And then it started making me think, like, why am I banging my head about this? And, like, it just made me think, like, my child is perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with her. Why am I fighting this so much? Beautiful. It is. And I remember Tony was sleeping next to me because I was like up late reading this book and crying to myself. And I like woke him up and he said, look, you need to read this book. And if you're not going to be on the same page with me about learning about Lincoln and how to make this better, like I will have to leave you and I will take my children and I will raise them by myself because I don't need you around. I want you around, but I don't need you around. And if you're not going to be with me to learn this together, I will leave. At this point, we do have a very solid marriage. But this was a thing because I felt like I was reading all these books and trying to learn. And he was like, just beyond frustrated with this child that wouldn't listen, kept trying to wear a dress throwing mm. baseball bats in a princess dress. And we were just like, what is going on? So I would say that to me was like the biggest quote unquote aha moment. And then I started just really researching. And then through this book, I found a therapist who ironically was back in San Diego and I was living in Puerto Rico. And I'm like, great, of course, I happen to find her after I leave San Diego. (laughs) So we were still visiting California to go see family. So whenever we would go, I made an appointment and I saw her, had her see Lincoln. And after that uh, first couple sessions, I said to her, how many kids of this age, because by then Lincoln was almost four, three and a half, four. How many kids of this age have you seen? And she said, I've seen thousands of kids this age. And she has been doing therapy in this LGBTQ community for, I don't know, 30 some years now. Her name's Darlene and she's in San Diego. I asked her like, so out of those thousands of however many kids that you have seen who insisted that they were of the opposite gender, how many have you seen that has gone back and decided they were not? And she looked at me and she said, zero. And I looked at her and I said, so do you, it was like, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth, but I was like, so do you think my child is like, and I kind of said it under my breath, transgender. And she looked at me and she said, I do. And I bursted out like crying. And looking back now, I'm like, why was I so devastated? Like, as if like having a transgender child was like the death of my child. And it's not. But it was your identity. You identified with two girls and two boys. And then to have to make that change. I mean, you need, it is a death. It was. Right? You still have to go through that mourning phase. You were letting go of your child as she, at that point, as he existed in Uh your consciousness. Absolutely. And you don't know if you're going to, you know, looking back now, retrospectively, you can be like, oh my God, how could I just, how did I not know I was still going to love my child? But when you're letting go of something that 
is just within that paradigm that of your consciousness, you're not mm-hmm. sure at the time, like, does that mean I'm not going to like, am I going to be able to love my child the same? And But it's healthy. Right. It's right. so healthy. Yeah. That it's you a natural that process. Release. Yeah. It was. So, I mean, so after that, then I started reading more and I just had to come to terms with it. And like you said, yeah, it was kind of like a letting go of what I knew and what my quote unquote son was and then having to shift. And so when I was reading that book about raising my rainbow and she was giving all the statistics about transgender suicide. And it was like, I thought to myself, what was like a big turning point was when I said to Tony that I was going to leave him. Uh I was like, because I would much rather have a alive child who's transgender than have a dead child. And my child's life to me is more important than my marriage to you. That's pretty potent, Cece. I know. It's just, it's a mother's love. There's nothing, yeah. nothing that compares to yeah. a mother's um, love. Listen, Laura. Sorry, Adam. I my, say it all our, the time and you always stop me. Our children, <laughs> Sorry, I got lost our, in the moment. <laughs> if our children decide that they are going against the norm, yes. I will divorce you in a second because my love for my children is so much. It, I guess it's just a father's love. It can't be even. It's I true. got lost Jeez, in her stories. <laughs> I need a true. men's episode now. I know, I know. It's Tony, true. you and I are having our own episode next week if you're out there. Well, I have to say, Tony woke up and he was like, what's going on? What? Because it was, <laughs> it was like, I was up reading this book and I couldn't put it down. And I was like up until like 1.30 in the morning, like reading. And I just like smacked him and woke him up and said all this heavy stuff to him. And I'm pretty sure he was still half asleep. <laughs> you're like, get up to speed, buddy. Let's go. Basically, he's like, wait, what you're leaving what what are you talking about he was so lost so that was sort of the process and it's funny because now Lincoln is nine and a half almost ten and I just can't even imagine her different way because we did go through a very difficult transition stage because it did happen at school and with the uniforms and with the hair and the... What happened with that? I'm so, so fortunate because there are many schools in Puerto Rico that never would have allowed it. But my school had the headmaster. I mean, we had meetings after meetings of tears and they were very honest. They said, look, we've never had this happen. Not this early on, maybe in high school, because as you know, like a lot of kids in high school, when they become more independent, they make the choice to do what they wish. But our preschool headmaster was like, she was grandmother and she was extremely loving. And she said, I'm going to be honest, like I've never experienced this, but I know children. She'd been the headmaster of this preschool for 30 years. And what's most important to me is that our children are happy and healthy. That's all I care about. So I'm going to learn this with you. And she started reading. I mean, I can't even tell you till this day, that woman is like, I have such a soft spot for her because she really was like willing to go through this with me. I didn't need her to say like, oh yeah, one way or the other. I just needed her to be open-minded about learning with me because I was just as confused and learning 
But I knew that the way that I knew before was not right because my child was three, four, and very unhappy every single day. And I couldn't understand why. She's a hero in your family's life. No, I mean, literally the first day that, because we decided, like, she said, okay, if Lincoln wants to wear the polo dress uniform, let her come to school in the polo dress uniform. And I remember the first day I dropped her off at preschool with the dress. And at that time, the hair was still short. And she came in wearing the dress. And everybody looked because previously was male Mm -hmm. uniform. But the preschool teacher, the headmaster, greeted her at the front, gave her the biggest hug. And I remember I got in my car and I just started like sobbing. It was very like, but she just was like so warm and loving and just said, we're going to do this together. We're going to learn about this and it's going to be okay because what's important is having a healthy child who is happy. Yes. And that's how we did it. And she learned with me and all the teachers would get together for a meeting and they would say, do you have any books I could read about this? Or let me learn about this and let's talk about this. And it was just a really big learning process, I think, for the whole school, the whole preschool. Yeah. yeah. And for me, when they did it with me. So I'm very, very grateful for that kind of community. Oh, Absolutely. I love this story. Yeah. I honestly, I mean, I knew that just keeping, not, I can't even say keeping in touch with you because I didn't, but I watched you on social media. And that's what I love about social media. And I saw, I saw the change, but we don't get to see the real time, the the hardships and everything looks perfect and seamless. In fact, there is a struggle and you have perfectly walked and talked us through the whole process and everything you've gone through. And I would imagine if there are other parents who are listening to this, that, I mean, it's just like a major handholding through the process of what you did. I mean, it takes a lot of support. I mean, I definitely can see for people who do not have the support how difficult it can be because it's difficult with the support. I can't imagine it without the support. And I feel very, very fortunate that I happened to have chosen a school because there were other schools that we were choosing between that I don't think would have been as open-minded given their community. I'd like to think you'd end up at that school you were at anyway at some point. I hope so. I mean, it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it my mind that attracted me to the school of that mind? Or was it the open mind of the school that opened up my mind? I don't know. (laughs) But the fact you had that realization, maybe from the book or whatever, but the realization that if you weren't going to be Lincoln's advocate, who was, and a child at that age needs an advocate. A child at any age. I mean, you can have 40. You need an advocate. And I know that it's very rare for a person to transition that early on because for us, I think sometimes what people forget is that transitioning doesn't mean that at four years old, I was giving my child hormones or (sighs) cutting off private parts or whatever. I mean, people are not very educated about that, like hormones and things that doesn't come until way later. And surgery may or may not happen. That's a personal choice once they become an adult. That is totally up to them. That's not my concern for me is mental wellness and being able to be who you are authentically and letting my child, I think many times like 
children are born a certain way. And yes, certain things as we nurture can change certain course of their personality or sense of humor or whatever. But even then, I think a lot of it is they're born a certain way. And I think as parents, I'm going to steal Tony's quote here because I thought it was very poignant when he said it. As parents, it's our job to be the gardener and lay like a ground of fertile soil. But oftentimes, as parents, we try to be carpenters, trying to Mm -hmm. turn them into something that they're not. They are who they are, and it's our job to lay the groundwork and just help that flower bloom, not squash it. You can't turn a cucumber into an orchid, okay? It just let the cucumber or the orchid grow into whatever it's going to be. It will give its gifts that are natural. And give, yes, feed the soil. Let it be. Let the child tell you who they are, and you feed that soil and let it grow. I think that's hard for us as parents to just let them be. That's the premise. Um, I wrote a children's book called I Choose Mm -hmm. You, and it's all about this little boy who doesn't know who he is, and he sees everyone else that has their own trees in their yard, and certain ones have certain types of trees that kids can play on, some have an orange tree that provides oranges, but this kid didn't know. And the whole point of the book was like, you don't know what your seed is going to turn into, but you choose it unconditionally and you just learn how to show up and nurture that growth. And you just continue to try to learn instead of saying who it should be or where it should be going. So, I mean, you're just, for me, you're just hitting all of this. Just wisdom after wisdom. Just, after yeah, you're wisdom. hitting the nail on the head. It's just everything is uh, so in line with my beliefs and our beliefs. I'm so glad yeah. you're telling the story. I, I am too. And your children you. are so lucky to have you as a mom. I love it when people say that, but then I hate it when people say that because I'm by no means perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you're perfect. And there is no such thing. There is no such thing. But for you, and this can't happen. A child cannot express who they really are unless you have a parent who is constantly doing their work. And clearly, even though you say, oh, I look back and I shudder at how I was, clearly you were doing your work. You're looking at yourself and you say, oh, okay, that is not who I am. That is not who I want to be. And you're constantly, along with teaching and nurturing your children to do their work and allowing them to express themselves, you're clearly doing your work. It's like, I think we always have to be open-minded and evolve, right? We have to think, we have to look inside ourselves and think. And to me, it was like, wait, I have a healthy child that's flipping out because I won't let him wear a dress. Like, why? Why do I care what he's wearing? Why do we care as humans? Why do we care what somebody is wearing? Why does it offend you? And I had to think to myself, why do I care? And with with laser focus, you saw that your child wasn't happy. Like the grand scheme of things, my child is not happy. My child is healthy, but my child is not happy. That's mental health right there. Yes. And it was, that to me is the most important thing. I think Tony, obviously, he has a background in psychiatry. He's double boarded in family medicine. That's right. He's a psychiatrist also. And I have a bachelor's in psychology, but he has his background in med school with psychiatry and family. But even in the DSM till this day, the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual Mm -hmm. for psych evaluations, even in the DSM today, it still refers to it as 
gender dysphoria. Yes, it does. They changed Uh it. I don't know when, but they changed it from gender disorder because they said they wanted to remove the social stigma of the disorder. But why is it still called gender dysphoria? dysphoria? Because let me tell you, the only time my child has been dysphoric in the nine and a half years of life was those years when I was denying what she could be. Powerful statement. I would love to have you back on, Cece, because uh-huh. I have to wrap this up. I wish yes. I could talk to you for so much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have I know, you back on. I could on. go on. I would love to just know, like from here, chapter two, it's now at nine and a half. And having done mm-hmm. such an early transition, what that mm-hmm. is like for Lincoln and what you're coming up against and just like, yeah. where this goes That's from the- here. Tween and teenage years. Yeah. Uh When the hormones do set in. I try to keep my blinders on, my little blinders, and just keep looking straight ahead and take it as it comes one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, probably, especially during that time of the month, when I think too far ahead, it scares me for safety. It scares me for her future happiness and mental health, health. And when I think about this political world, If you see me go dark on like disappearing from social media, it's because I have seen too much that I don't want to see anymore about the political world and this whole anti-trans thing that everywhere now, I have to shut it off and keep my blinders on and focus on my family and my child and do what I know in my heart is my true north. Just keep moving. You're doing a beautiful job. It's another podcast one day. I don't know what I'm going to do about the future. I'm just one day at a time, I guess. We'll we'll have you on for Mm -hmm. sure and kind of just talk about it because I think it's a fascinating story and it has so many lessons to teach us. In terms of magic seed for today. She gave a hundred. A hundred magic seeds. For me, the most poignant, it's really just comes back to like you choose yourself. And as a parent, you have a child. And until that child grows up and becomes an adult and they take over the reins of their kingdom, if you will. It's your job to instill the way to love yourself and choose yourself unconditionally. And as a parent, that's what we do. Before any dogma comes in, it's I choose you no matter what. And I will be here with you no matter what and advocate for you no matter what and love you and accept you and support you and value you no matter what. And that's really hard. I remember personally. I had to let go of so many of my own beliefs and things that were so important until I could learn to love myself and let alone a child or anyone else. And just to me, that's the magic. It all starts from being able to tear down any of those limiting beliefs, any of those judgments and expectations so your love can be pure and your valuation could be pure and unconditional. If you can start from there, anything's possible. So, yeah. Cece, thank you so thank much you. for Cece, coming on. Thank you. We will have you on again. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. And, um, thank you. Until next week, nothing but love.